Do you want a smart lock, a 2K cam and doorbell all in one? Now you can with Eufy, the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330. Easy to install. All you need is just a Phillips screwdriver. So easy that even I, yes, I figured out how to install it. It's a keyless entry, so no more fumbling for the keys, which, by the way, I didn't even have a key to my front door. Uh, yeah, I had to go through the garage, so I would be SOL if something were to happen, but not anymore with Eufy. It's keyless. You have no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge monthly fees. Your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage, and the customer service is top-notch now. Let's be real. I didn't have to use it. I figured out how to use that Phillips screwdriver to install. Trust me, guys. I, I, I'm not lying to you. It is extremely easy. But if you have issues with your Eufy or installation, be rest assured Eufy's on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty. If you want to check it out, which I highly recommend you do, check out the Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com forward slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc welcome to the arrowhead attic podcast please welcome your hosts patrick allen and matt verderam All right, welcome in, Addicts. This is the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. We are back. It's Patrick Allen and Matt Verderam. We took a little break. It wasn't planned, but I think we earned it. We worked hard all season. Um, old man Allen here threw out his back and couldn't sit up for a couple days, so we decided to, to take a week off. Verderam, how, how you doing? Did you enjoy the uh, the respite? I'm fine. I... Uh... <clears throat> I, I, I feel like I didn't really rest much because I was still doing stack in the box and, and all the other work for us over fan sided. But um, I'm happy to talk Chiefs as we have about two, eh, about two and a half weeks until free agency. Yeah, things are getting ready to heat up. So and 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 luckily we brought on Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes, so they were there to keep the content flowing for you guys. So we appreciate that. I listened to. Both of their episodes, great stuff. If you if you haven't listened to Matt and Sterling stuff yet, please do. Great to get more Chiefs perspective. These guys are tapped in. They know what's going on. Sterling's right there in Kansas City. And apparently, I gotta say, man, Patrick Mahomes, we're gonna talk, we'll talk about this in a, when we get to the news section. Patrick Mahomes and and his his fiance, Brittany Matthews, had their their first child, and her name is Sterling Sky Mahomes. Sterling Mahomes. I know Sterling 
Sterling feels very, um, he's, he's, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he's, um, not gratified, flattered. <laughs> he thinks that this is clearly, uh, they named the daughter after him. What do you think, Vertoram? I, I don't think that he was, uh, part of the consideration, but I do like the Union Station in Kansas City. They lit the whole place up in pink the night she was born. Um, I love I know, it. I know, uh, you know, I, I noticed it because Mahomes tweeted about it that he, he loves the, uh, you know, all, all the, all the good vibes or whatever you like to say from Kansas City. But yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I don't know too many cities that would do that. Um, it just goes to show how much he means to Kansas City. Like, I don't care who you are in New York. Nobody's lighting up the Empire State Building blue or pink in New York City. Right. Yeah. But Mahomes, look, they are the they are the royal family of Kansas City. <laughs> that are. is just what it. Yeah. It's kind of like if you're familiar. I, I feel like I'm on a Wayne Gretzky bender lately. I, I talked about him the other day on Stack in the Box, but when he got married to Janet Jones in the '80s, uh, it was like the royal wedding in Canada. Like the media coverage for it literally yeah. was like something you would see for the Royals in, in Great Britain. Um, I guarantee you the Mahomes wedding and everything. And that, I, I have no idea if it's going to happen in Kansas City or somewhere else. My guess is probably in Texas where they grew up. But if, if it were to happen in Kansas City, it would be like a complete media spectacle, which just goes yep. to show again how much the Mahomes' matter uh, in, in Kansas City. And good on you, all the boots on the ground in Kansas City for doing your part and keeping Patrick Mahomes happy. It matters, man. It, where you live, the way people treat you, it matters. I know, obviously, the half a billion dollars that the Chiefs are giving him and, and the team and Andy Reid, all that stuff is at the top of the list. But listen, we all got to do our part. Every little thing, whether it's a tweet, whether it's just, you know not being an asshole on Twitter, lighting up the Union Station, whatever we got to do, let's make sure that Patrick Mahomes never leaves Kansas City. Um and and just stays there forever. Maybe he becomes coach after he's done playing. Whatever the man wants, build the statue now. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so uh, I want to hit some some reader reviews because we got some really great ones. Uh, they're just absolutely fantastic. You guys are so generous with these reviews. We promise you that we'll read them, and we will. So we got a little bit of catching up to do. If I might have read some of these the last time we recorded, but I don't remember because they trickle in. So if I repeat something, sorry, not sorry. Uh, from Susie Met 303, I think I think I read this one, but it's short. Listen to your podcast for the first time. Came away extremely impressed. You guys really know your stuff. I'll be listening every week from now on. Thank you, Susie. Um, we got a uh, Solace from USA Chiefs fan from February 7th. While the Chiefs won't be, become the ninth team in NFL history to win back-to-back Super Bowls, very disappointing. I find the hope that this will reignite the fire that they played with in the 2019-2020 season. Um, yeah, we did read this one. Um, uh, really appreciate the review. Sorry, I'm working my way through, guys. We're back. We're rusty. Uh, this one came on... Uh, February 8th from Stupid Face 9332. Just discovered this podcast this past off season and I've listened to every episode since. Just wanted to say thank you both for all your hard work. Thank you, Stupid Face. Um, February 9th, Love It as a Cheese fan from Joe On It 55. I really enjoy you guys breaking breaking it down for me. Uh, I've listened to you guys every week. You're really, you're really helpful to put stuff in perspective after the Super Bowl loss. That was what we were trying to do, so appreciate it. I think we've got two from from our guy, uh, Clint, Clint McKenzie. Uh, 
that's how I feel. He said, a bright new day. That's how I feel when I listen to Patrick and Matt on the podcast. Win or lose, these wonderful hosts provide sound perspective and great information in a very enjoyable way. In the wake of a painful loss in the Super Bowl, there's, there's, there is no place I would rather be spending my time than with these great friends. We appreciate you, man. We know we can count on you just about every week for a great question or a great review. So thanks, uh, thanks for all you do for us. Um, this one's great. KC Chiefs, February 10th. Awesome podcast. I'm super stoked about the AA podcast expansion. I look forward to your pod every week. I especially needed the podcast after a devastating loss, and you guys made me feel so much better. Not only do you offer excellent content, love all the stories, by the way, but you offer great therapy as well. The AAs appreciate you. I have two questions. How would you compare the 49ers defense in the Super Bowl last year to the Bucks defense in the Super Bowl this year? And Mahomes already knows how to read the defenses, uh, defenses that blitz what do you think he will learn from or do different to make himself better against this kind of defense if there is anything i know he told reporters he was going to review the game and try to figure out ways to do better against this type of defense hashtag revenge tour love it go chiefs what do you think Verderam? i think realistically there's nothing he really could have done they couldn't block anybody um I thought it was more about coaching in that game. In all the years Andy Reid's been the coach of the team, I think what now? He's been the coach for eight seasons. That was the worst coach game I've ever seen them partake in, ever. Um, They just ran deep route after deep route after deep route after deep route against a team that anybody with a, a functioning brain who understands football knew they were not going to have time to do that. And that's all they kept doing. Uh, you go back and watch the film of the game if you if you have a some kind of a fetish for for punishing yourself. Okay, um, I only did it because it's my job. They literally would have two and three man route combinations where they just ran straight down the field, and there was no outlet. Like I I, I don't understand what they were doing. I, I keep going back to the term earned arrogance. They had earned arrogance in that game. They just felt like, we have Mahomes, we are the Chiefs, we're going to throw the ball, we don't care who you are. I thought it was nuts. If I, I firmly believe if they had played the way they played against Buffalo, and I just mean schematically, they would have at least been in the game. Now, would they have won the game? I don't know. Okay, They took a lot of penalties, they made a lot of dumb mistakes, they dropped passes. I don't know if they would have won. I think they would have been in it. They never even tried to play like that. It was bizarre. It, it I, I don't... I don't say this as an apologist to the man because I'm happy to criticize any chief player who doesn't play. Well, I don't think Mahomes could have done any more than he did in that game. I really don't. Like I, I thought he was brilliant. They dropped two touchdown passes. It hit him in the face mask. He threw two balls on those two passes. They would have been the greatest throws in Super Bowl history if he had hit. I mean, the one to Darrell Williams is one of the greatest throws I've ever seen in my life, and it hit him right in the face mask. And he dropped it. So I was I on Fanatics was yesterday. And I, sorry to interrupt you, but I was on no, Fanatics no. yesterday. They're selling a photo image of Mahomes horizontal to the ground throwing the football, and people are buying it. And it was an incomplete pass. That's Patrick if Mahomes for you in a nutshell. If you have kids and you want to teach them about not giving up, about playing to the end, that picture to me is as like and is and will be as iconic as any picture ever will be. They were getting the doors blown off of them by that point. They were going to lose. 
There was no hope of them winning. He needed a legitimate foot surgery that will take months to recover from after that game. And there he was doing that. I talked to people around the league in the week after that game who said he earned more respect in that game than he could have possibly earned when they won the Super Bowl a year ago. Like, to me, that will pay dividends in the future. But they, look, I'm not, and by the way, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these people, oh, they, they, they got to think about the coaching staff. No, they don't. They have a great coaching staff. They had a horrible plan. They had a horrible plan. They never adjusted. Is it fair to wonder if some of the off-the-field stuff going into that week factored into that? Maybe. I mean, it was just – it was bizarre. But I don't put any of it on Mahomes. I think Mahomes is fine. They, they they have to – look, they need to block better, and they need to coach better in those situations and adjust. And and they didn't in that game, and they got, they got crushed. Andy Reid certainly knows the mistakes he made. Um, just got to take a pause real quick and let you guys know that support for the Arrowhead Addict podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. That's right. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. See that rhymed? Uh, they obsess over their technology developments that will provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. That includes me. I subscribed to Manscaped long before they supported this podcast. You've heard me mention this before. They have some great products. I particularly like their ball cream. For lack of a better word, they actually call it, I think, a crop preserver. It's basically a deodorant for your nether regions, and it's great. Keeps you dry. Keeps you smelling fresh. I get that delivered once every month or so. Um, and then, of course, they've got their Lawnmower 3.0, which is just a razor for you down there, uh, but it's really safe. Keeps you from cutting yourself. They use a ceramic blade, and they've got skin-safe technology. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know I've never had any problems with it. Great product. Check it out. We've got a promo code for you. If you really want to support the show, you do it every week. You do it with your reviews and all those types of things. You can support the entire Fansided Podcast Network and this Arrowhead Addict Podcast. If you are interested in this product, don't buy anything you don't want, obviously. But if you're interested in Manscaped, Fansided20, that's the code. Go to the website, put it in at checkout. It's going to get you 20% off and a, uh, a free shipping. So fansided 20, 20% off free shipping for Manscaped. Honestly, you'll real like, honestly, you will make every one of you that buys something from Manscaped, like in February before the end of the month, you were making a bigger impact on the show than you, than, you know, uh, it sets us up for future success with future advertisers and maybe Manscaped will come back and you'll get to hear me talk about, um, shaving my nether regions for, for, for for more than just a few minutes or just, just the month of February. So, uh, I'll, and I'm, my, my goal is if they come back and they sponsor us again in March, that I get Verderam to do one of these promos, which I'm really looking forward to. All right. With that, let's get back to the show. Verderam, you, you excited to do a Manscaped promo? Are you doing one? Stacking the box. Uh, that's right. I thought maybe you had Carmen doing it. No, I do it. I love it. No. I love it. <laughs> I, I, you can hear me talk about, uh, all things Manscaped on the Stacking the Box <clears throat> podcast. Awesome. Fan side of 20, y'all. Fan side of 20. 20% off. Okay. Uh, another one here. Uh, Verderam and Allen are must listen. Matt Verderam and Patrick Allen are must listen and go to for any Chiefs fan. This is a good, nice compliment coming up here for you, Verderam. Verderam is a great combination. You should read this one to your wife. Verderam is a great combination of knowledge, analysis, and humor, and I look forward li to listening to. Their banter and stories will have you laughing out loud. I'm here for the expert analysis, but more so for the serial rankings and other fun shenanigans. Keep up the great work. That is from uh, Jason81 uh, from February 18th. That's the day I threw out my back. So it's nice to know somebody was out there saying nice things about us while I was writhing around uh, in pain. 
well, you know, he he probably didn't care about your your pain. He needs uh, he's more podcast. So right, yeah, we were supposed to be doing a, a podcast, and and instead I was uh, you know in the fetal position. So You're selfish. Yeah, if any of you with any of you got lower back, it was back spasms, and I just if any of you have ever had them, you know what I'm talking about. It's just debilitating, can't move. Uh, all right, last one here. From uh, Bronson R., this is the go-to Chiefs podcast. I discovered this podcast in October and immediately gave a five-star review. Little did I know that my praise was paltry. There are multiple good Chiefs podcasts, but this is the best. like to hear that. When Patrick and Patrick, my name for Verderam, go off topic, they are interesting. When they cover football, they are spot on. Now, fellas, please answer this question for me and for Andy Reid because everybody saw a blueprint. What kinds of plays will break the back of the defense used successfully by the Chargers and 49ers, albeit in losses, and the Bucks in a grotesque victory moving forward? We played the Chargers twice, and now the Raiders have Gus Bradley. Denver has been good against our offense. What can be done if we can't beef up our offensive line as much as we need to? This is, this is all you, Verderam. Okay. Uh, first of all, great question and good call. I like to see you mention Gus Bradley because he plays cover three. Guess where he was last year? The Chargers, okay? I guarantee you the Raiders this offseason are going to prioritize their pass rush because that's the only way Gus Bradley's defense works. Gus Bradley will blitz less than anybody in the NFL. So the Raiders are about to become the least blitz-heavy team in football. That is not the way they want to play. Bradley loves to drop seven. Now, to answer the Chiefs portion of this, if the Chiefs cannot fix their offensive line, they're not going to play well against those types of defenses. Now, the Raiders have to find pass rush first because you can play that cover three, but if you can't get a pass rush, the Chiefs will just destroy it, okay? Well, for anyone who doesn't know, cover three is just the two outside corners play back. They're responsible each for one-third of the field. The free safety is responsible for the middle third of the field. And then the strong safety drops down, typically with three linebackers, and they each play a quarter of the field underneath. Okay, so it's just the short zones or quarters and the deep thirds divide up between the free safety and and the two boundary safeties. Now, the, the one thing the Chiefs can do against that offense, and if you keep this in mind, they have been able to do this when they've had time. They did it against the Niners very famously with Wasp. They did it with the Tyree Kill play against the Chargers. That is a single high safety defense. If you cannot get pressure, the Chiefs will destroy that defense. Because now it is essentially one-on-one on the outside with the corners, okay? That's not the way teams want to play. A lot of teams, they have success with the Chiefs. They play cover two, two high safeties, okay? If you're playing single high safety, which cover one and cover three are, cover three, you do have, you do have more support, but still it's one-on-one on the outside. That's a problem if you're not getting pressure. The problem has been for Kansas City is the Niners got pressure for 53 minutes. The Bucks got pressure for 60 and the Chargers in week two when they played their starters against them. The Chargers got pressure most of that game. Now, Kansas City still won two of those three games. The Raiders have Max Crosby, who's a good, not great player. They have nobody else. They have to find guys. And they are without cap space at the moment, although they can add some. They, there's some different things they can do. Um, but the answer to your question is they do have to find a better offensive line. Kansas City got away with a lot of this stuff because they've been able – Mahomes is a magician in the pocket, and they've been able to block. Now, they are getting uh, 
some help back. Okay, Duvernay Tardif is coming off the COVID-19 uh, opt-out list, as is Lucas Niang, who the Chiefs are very high on. Um, Mitchell Schwartz had back surgery yesterday. Um, and while I tried to confirm 100% that he would be returning, could not uh, nail down that confirmation, it does look like uh, he's planning on coming back and playing, uh, provided he can get healthy. That is a huge boost for them. So, look, they, they still need a lot of help. I, I would expect and I believe they will try to upgrade at center. And I believe that they will try to do the same at left guard. Um, and then a left tackle. Look, Fisher is probably gone. Okay. I they are not going to carry him at $12 million against a cat. Now, do they cut him? Do they do they force him to take a big pay cut? That remains to be seen, but he's not coming back at that number. My my guess is he'll be cut, although it's not impossible that they could get him to take a lower number and, and then try to stash him for what would probably be post Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating offseason. I'm really excited to see it. I had one more one more uh, review that actually got sent to me on Twitter back in, in February that I missed. Um, this one comes from Championship Swagger. He's at at Brandon422. And I'm just, uh, <laughs> he has a terrible question for us. He says, I have a terrible question. If you had to choose between Adam Gase or Jack Easterby to have on the Chiefs, who would you take? Gase, because Easterby could destroy the entire franchise. Or they could just jam Gase in as like the, you know, quarterback's coach. And let's face it, any one of us could be their quarterback's coach. Right? So right. I, I think Gase, because Easterby as the general manager is an absolute disaster. And he doesn't like, know what Gase he's doing. Awful. Like, but Gase has been on teams that have gone to the Super Bowl as a coordinator. Right. Like, right. I, so I'll Gase by a million miles. Now, yeah, you're saying he's the head coach? Oh, I, I then I, I have no answer for you. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they can be in their positions because, you know, uh, I guess you'd have to go with, with Gase because he could do – he's a terrible head coach. It's like Romeo Cornell, right? Not a good head coach, but he's – that doesn't mean he doesn't know football. Easterby – we're not sure what he knows. So uh, I would go with Gase as well. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit more about Mitchell Schwartz. Had the back surgery, as you mentioned. He he tweeted out injury update. I'm getting surgery today. He was like in the hospital bed uh, with right. a picture. I'm hoping to recover. And I was hoping to recover enough to get back for the playoffs slash Super Bowl. But that didn't happen. It's time to address the issue. doesn't say what the issue is. The recovery process isn't too long, which is nice. Looking forward to a healthy 2021. Back stuff, you know, everybody's got their opinions on Twitter, right? He's 30. He's going to be 32. The offensive lineman back issues are bad. The fact of the matter is, while that stuff may be true, we have no idea what Mitchell Schwartz's back issue is. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. A member of my family had... Uh, a really bad back for a long time and it sort of peaked recently and he had some surgery and they found like an abscess in his spine and they cleared that out and he's getting around to better he's, he's older he's getting around better than he has in years he's going on walks again and, and they just hadn't found this for a long time. So that's just one like random example. I'm not saying that that's what Mitchell Schwartz has. But what I'm saying is there are things that can put you put you on the sideline that can be fixed with surgery that that you can come back from. Especially a young guy like Mitchell Schwartz, still in his 30s. It does sure seem like from that tweet that 
He says, I'm looking forward to a healthy 2021. And he says the recovery process isn't too long, which is nice. Obviously, that's nice for his, his personal life and his mobility and all those types of things. Um, but the fact that he's he's tweeting it out, he's talking about, um, you know, the, the recovery process and looking forward to a healthy 2021. That makes me feel like he wants to come back and play football. How do you feel, Verderam? I tend to feel that way. Like I said, I tried to nail down confirmation of that um, through talking to a, you know different league sources and was not given a straight 100%, yeah, he's going to play. Um, it was more of a, hey, yeah, you know, listen, we'll, we'll see how things play out. Um, now, that doesn't mean that he's not coming back and playing football. My point is just I, I didn't get a straight, yeah, he's definitely playing. Um, so take that for what it's worth. I do agree with you, though. The fact that he hashtagged like Chiefs, Chiefs Kingdom in it. You, I mean, yeah, it, you would you would definitely be led to believe that he will be playing now. But I, like I said, I, I just I've learned that assuming in this business is is for fools, and so I always reach out and and you know I I think to be fair, I, I wasn't shocked I didn't get an one hundred percent confirmation because you know he, this is a back injury and he's got to get better and get healthy. But the fact that he's getting surgery now. You know, it would certainly open the door that'll be healthy for camp and everything else. So, um, with all that in mind, do I expect that he'll try to play this year? Yes, I do. Um, and if he does and he's healthy, he's arguably the best right tackle in football. So, that's a huge look. If you're Kansas City, now I will say this with, and, I, and I'll, I'll clarify when I'm giving an op- opinion and when I have a little bit of of knowledge of maybe their thinking. Okay. My opinion is that if Jason Kelsey gets cut by the Eagles, I think the Chiefs would go hard after Jason Kelsey. I have no reporting to back that up. My opinion is based off of the obvious. His brother's on the Chiefs. They're very close. Andy Reid drafted Jason Kelsey. Brett Veach was in Philadelphia when, when Kelsey was picked by Philly. Okay? There's just a lot of dot connecting there that would lead you to believe if you're Jason Kelsey, that would make a lot of sense. It's also... Uh, this is part opinion and part my understanding of the situation is that if they can upgrade at center, they will do so. Okay. Uh, I think, you know, the offensive line needs to be upgraded. It needs to be fortified. Center's a position where Austin Reader, who's been there, who's done a nice job at times for them, but he's going to be a free agent. Uh, I think if they can upgrade there, they would. Okay. So those things kind of go hand in hand. Now, we already talked about Schwartz and everything there, right tackle, right guard. This is yeah. just common knowledge. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is coming off the, the COVID-19 opt-out list. He'll be back. He has one year left in his deal. My expectation is that Duvernay-Tardif and that Schwartz are your right side. Okay? If they can upgrade at center, they will try to do it. Reader's not a terrible center, but he's not a top 15 center probably either. All right? Um the left side is where it gets really interesting. Now, Lucas Niang is coming back off the COVID-19 off that list as well. He would have been a rookie last year. When they drafted him, uh, I reached out to a source close to the team, said, you know, what was the thought process? They actually had a second-round grade on him. They got him in the third. Chase Young has gone on record saying that Lucas Niang was the best tackle he ever faced in college. Uh, he played 44 games at TCU primarily on the right side. He did not allow a sack in his college career. 
played very, very well. He fell a little bit because he had a, a hip injury, I believe it was, if memory serves correctly. Um, that should long have been healed up at this point. I expect that he will compete for a starting job this, this this coming season. Now, whether that's a tackle or for this year, if to kick him inside the guard, we'll see how tackle shakes. I also believe strongly, and this is this is a, a somewhat educated opinion. I believe that Kansas City looks at at this draft and sees a lot of talent on the offensive side. And, and I'll say it because not necessarily that I've heard that from the team but from talking to people around the league, personnel evaluators around the league, it's almost universal that the offensive line and the receiver classes are seen as upper echelon. So I have to believe that Kansas City likely feels the same way. All right? If there is an offensive tackle at 31 that they love, would they pass? They could, but I think it'd be hard to. Even if Schwartz comes back, he's there for another year. So I think if you're the Chiefs, your future is probably a tackle, Niang, and then the first-round pick, right, if if that value is there. So um, they could go in free agency. Trent Williams is out there. Trent Williams would be an amazing signing for the Chiefs, but can they afford him? I don't know. Alejandro Villanueva, if he doesn't retire, coming off of Pittsburgh, maybe he makes sense. But I expect the Chiefs to have a new left side of the line. I also think that they will try – I don't look at other options at center. And I think the right side of their line is essentially already what it is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get this on Twitter a lot. Like if I ever mention a sort of an older veteran or anybody that's ever had injury issues, you know, the, the, what I'm hearing from, from Chiefs fans is, ah, we can't do that. We got to get younger guys. We got to fix it. That person's hurt too much, so on and so forth. And I think that what everybody out there needs to understand is that, the Chiefs don't want to roll out there next year with all like a bunch of young guys on their offensive line, right? They're not just going to get a whole new offensive line of 22-year-olds who are going to be playing at an all-pro level. When you're a team like the Chiefs who have a lot of high-priced, big-name players, you have to do a mix of draft, smart, bargain-bin guys, and aging veterans who have experience that you take a chance on. You 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 don't it's just like when you're playing the stock market or you're, you know, you don't want to put all your money into one stock. That's fool, foolish. You want to spread your money out. That's what the Chiefs are going to have to do as they continue to build this team. Brett Veach is going to have to look for value on aging veterans. He's going to have to take a chance on some guys. And some like look at Osemele last year. He looked like he was going to work out great. He got injured. It didn't work out, but he was playing well. There's there's but but anybody can get injured. So I think like Guys like mixing in guys like J- with like maybe a Jason Kelsey with a guy like Lucas Nyang. That's exactly the way to do it. Is to is to you know hedge your bets a little bit. You got a Mitchell Schwartz. You don't want to maybe necessarily have to rely on him totally if he comes back. You want some depth there, and that's why you draft the young guys. But you know a guy like Jason Kelsey, he he's he'll step in even at his age and be one of the, and and be one of the best players on the line. He's still playing at a really high level. He is. He is. No, Jason Kelsey would be great. Look, if here, here's just, and this is all opinion. Okay. If I were running the Chiefs, my goal would be if there's value in the first round, I'd draft a tackle. There's a ton of really good tackles. And every time I reach out to a scout, a GM, uh, anyone in pro personnel, or, or, excuse me, even just personnel in general, and say, look, what do you see in this draft? Every time the receivers are great, the offensive linemen are great. 
I, I would at 31, if there's if the value there that I hope is there, I wouldn't trade up, but if the value's there, I would take an offensive tackle. I would slot that person at left tackle. Painful as it may be, I would release Eric Fisher. I'd save $12 million. I'd move on. Okay. They're gonna have to anyway. He's, he's got one year left in his deal. I, I'd move on. It, it's a cold business, it's brutal, it's not fair. He has a torn Achilles. I, I would I would move on. Okay. I would draft the left tackle, I'd play Schwartz for one more, and I'd have Yang as my swing tackle. That way, if you, if they like Yang as as much as they do at the end of camp as they do now, then they're in good shape. Um, I would I'd have him as my swing. That way, if somebody gets hurt, you have depth there. I'd also re-sign Mike Remmers as a backup. Everybody's going to kill him because of the Super Bowl. Mike Remmers was good the entire season. Mike Remmers was fine. Now, do I want him necessarily as my starter next year? No, but if I can get him back, by the way, he can also play guard. Yeah, so I would I play him at guard. I'd play him and go. I, I would. I would not start him. I'd bring him back. All right, that would be my foursome. Uh, well, I should say. I shouldn't say. It. Yang would be my swing tackle. Remmers would be on the interior mix. I would try to bring in Jason Kelsey, and then at guard, I would try to sign Larry Warford, who also opted out last year for, because of COVID. He's a three-time All Pro. Like, I think you could probably get him on a one-year deal to prove himself. I, I would sign him in a heartbeat. I'd even give him a two-year deal. I would so if in in a perfect world, Matt Verdant's perfect world, the right side we already know, the left side would be rookie left tackle, Larry Walford, and then Jason Kelsey is my center. And then after that, usually have three to four backups depending on your roster construction. Niang would be my swing tackle. I'd have Remmers inside. I would draft another kid and I'd sign Coleccio Semley. Those would be that would be my nine. Because to me, your entire offseason, the success and failure of it is based off of that offensive line. If nobody can get to Mahomes, you're probably going to win the Super Bowl. Like that, That's just reality. When he's not hit a lot, they never lose. So I'd go out and do that. I'd also take a receiver with a top 100 pick if they don't sign a guy in free agency. And there's a lot of guys. And with the way the cap is, I think they could get one cheap. Okay, I know we're going to talk about free agency here in a second. And then... Um, Edge. They got to get Edge. Oak Forest free agent. Passion's a free agent. Taco Charlton's a free agent. I like Frank Clark. He hasn't lived up to his $100 million contract during the regular season. Playoffs has been great. Regular season, he's been spotty. Um, and there's a lot of Edge guys. So if I'm the Chiefs, I'm looking at – I don't think the draft's great for the Edge, but free agency is. I, if I'm the Chiefs, those are the spots I'm looking at. I'm glad that you mentioned re-signing Osemele. Obviously, got to see how he's doing uh, off of that horrible injury. But yep. keep in mind, and that's the thing that I want people to remember when we bring up these veterans with maybe uh, some injury history. They signed Osemele for a million bucks last year. Right. A million dollars, like a $100,000 signing bonus or something. He was starting for them, and he w- and he looked really great. He was excellent when he was yeah. So, you know, if you bring him back, and maybe he's not even starting. He, look, he's not getting... If he got a million bucks last year, he's not going to get any more than that this year. <laughs> he's a year older. He's coming off a oh. tor- terrible injury. So you're basically going to get him for free. Right, he's not going to hurt your cap at all. He's good depth, and he can and he can really help you in the run game if he's right. I think I think Osemele is a guy you bring in without the expectation of him starting. Like I, I would sit down if I'm the Chiefs with Clutch someone saying, "Look, we'll give you another million bucks, but you, you're going to have to understand you're coming off of dual patella tears. Like you have major injury issues. I would flat out tell him we." are not going to put you out there for 16 games. 
We're not going to do that. Like the odds of you getting to a 16 game season is just crazy. We're not going to do that, but we're more than willing to look at the situation week by week. And if we feel like you're the best option for us as we go down the stretch, that's fine. Like if you're Kansas city, you don't need Coletio assembly in week seven. Right. Like if I'm the chiefs, I would reevaluate how the line's playing at the beginning of December. And if you feel like assembly can come in and upgrade, then you put him in. And if he can play the rest of the year, then great. If he can't, well, then whoever you replace, well, you put him back in. But I, I would sign him as depth. I'd sign Remmers as depth. I'd try to have Nyang as a swing tackle for one year, kind of give him – I mean, this is really going to be his rookie year. So let him learn. But he's there as quality depth, right? Like that's how, to me, you go about it. Because I just look at Kansas City and say, look, that, that offensive line situation, that can't happen again where Wiley is starting at friggin' tackle in the Super Bowl. I mean, it was just, it was insane. And, and I'll be the first to admit, I underestimated it. They did enough against New Orleans. I thought they could win. They couldn't in that game. They, that offensive line gave them no chance. Again, if I'm the Chiefs, that is priority one, two, and three. My, my other priorities are I'm getting one more legitimate receiver to play opposite a hill because I think Hardman belongs in the slot. And then I would get edge. Defensively, that is the only thing I'm concerned about. If they can re-sign Breland, great. If they can't, I think they can figure it out. They need to sign an edge rusher because the class of, of rookies isn't great. And right now they do not have enough on the edge to, to satisfy the way I look at the defense. All right, let's take our last break. On the other side, we're going to go through some more of these potential free agent acquisitions. And we're also going to talk to you about some of our favorite under-the-radar chiefs of all time. This is the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. All right, we are back. Okay, so I want to talk about some under-the-radar free agents and some aging veterans. Uh, I want to start with aging veterans. Just there's two names that have been thrown around out there. People get people get hot under the collar when they hear big names, and and so JJ Watt. Like, let's just people are people want to know, right? Probably unlikely JJ Watt signs with the Chiefs because I feel like he's going to be able to get more money from another contender. Do you feel yeah. the same way on this? Yes. And there was a report that he's going to, you know, some teams offering him 15, 16 million a year. I don't, first of all, I don't believe that for two seconds. With all due respect, I believe it was Diana Rossini who reported, and I have a lot of respect for Diana. Um, she does great work. I just think that's a leak from Watts Camp. And, and if you're, if you're a reporter, I understand why you go with it, but I, I just, I do not believe that that is um, accurate. And, and, and again, more so because I think it's just a leak trying to get him more money. If he's honestly getting offered 15, 16 million a year, he's insane not to take it. He's right. had one good year in five seasons. Like, I think J.J. Watt, at this point, the name outpaces the production significantly. And don't get me wrong, could he have one great year in him? Yeah, he could because the first ballot Hall of Fame type player. But I, I think the odds are that he's probably not going to play 16 games and he's probably not going to justify that kind of money. If he comes to you and you're Brett Veach and he says, I want to win a Super Bowl, I think my best chance to win a Super Bowl is with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. What's the, what's the price? that you would be willing to pay or would you be willing to pay it at all? If he says, I want to win with you, make me an offer. You know, I don't two years and 12 million with incentives. Then maybe he could get up to like 9 million a year. Do you think I, that's worth it for the chiefs for what he could bring to the table? I think there are better options for them. I think there are better options. I think there are a lot of edge guys out there in free agency that I, I would personally like to see the chiefs pursue more than JJ Watt. It's uh, totally fair. All right, Alshon Jeffrey. I brought this one up on Twitter, and everybody got mad at me. 
Um, again, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about Demarcus Robinson leaving in free agency. I'm thinking about a guy who maybe could be productive for the Chiefs in the red zone, especially, which is a specialty of Alshon Jeffrey. Is he a guy you would take a look at? No, I, I agree with Twitter on this. You deserve to be screamed at. Um, <laughs> no, because he's another guy. Like, I'm, I'm a big believer in the whole, your best abilities, availability. He's hurt all the time. I hate when teams do that and they sign eight guys with these, like, Osemele is an example of someone that I didn't mind. Like, to, to me, it's depth. Like, if you're bringing a guy for depth who's had some injury issues, that's one thing. You start relying on guys who are ne- like look, Sammy Watkins is a prime example. Now, I know a lot of Chief fans cannot stand Sammy Watkins. I will defend that signing forever. They did. They would not have won the Super Bowl without Sammy Watkins. Nope. Period. End of story. And to me, that contract, as expensive as it was, was justified by that playoff run that he had. Just saying there with Frank Clark. Like, has Frank Clark in a vacuum been worth what they gave up for? No, but you know what? He he was a wrecking machine in the playoffs. They won the Super Bowl in large part because of the two of them. So I don't mind that. But I also think, look, you can't always be banking on guys like that, especially because there are so many. Like, Deshaun Jackson's another guy you're going to hear a ton about, right? Veach was instrumental in scouting him and, and redrafted him in Philly. He's hurt all time like at some point it's just not worth it now you want to if you're talking about jackson or jeffrey on like a a two million dollar contract okay i can hear that but if we're talking about relying on them to play you know 70 percent of the snaps no i i I can't get behind that because i just think it's a sunk cost he's just so talented and maybe that's i'm letting that color my sammy Watkins. (laughs) right i'm thinking of him as a guy that comes in and he's a guy that, you know, he's a he's a fourth, fifth wide receiver, potentially. Maybe you need that for a special teams guy, and so it's not worth it. But if his medicals looked okay, I think it's worth bringing him in, at least worth bringing him in and taking a look and seeing where he's at, seeing what the injury history has been. I don't know. He he. I just think having another guy in the red zone, especially, that could really help out and catch balls down there, a big body, I don't know. It could be valuable to the Chiefs if – if it all fits together, that's whenever I say something like that, I'm saying I'm I'm not saying let's bring out all Sean Jeffrey and he's going to be the number two receiver for the Chiefs, right? Like that's not what I'm saying when I say kick the tires on a guy like that. All right, let's get to some other ones. Uh, the first two came from an article on Arrowhead Attic from longtime writer over there, our guy Lyle Graverson. Lyle suggested two wide receivers that I think are interesting, and I'm, I want to hear your thoughts on them, Verderam. The first one I really like, but I think maybe he'll be worth too much on the open market is Marvin Jones coming out of Detroit. Is that a guy you would jump on if, if the chiefs could get him for a fair price? Yes. Yes. In a heartbeat. And I actually think they might be able to get him. Um, so look, Marvin Jones for people who may not be familiar and I won't blame you if you're, if you're not familiar because he's played his entire career in Cincinnati and Detroit. Um, here are the numbers over the last, well, let's see. He, so he missed all of 2014 with an ankle injury. Since then, he's been very durable. Okay. 2015, 25 years old, had, plays 13 games, 65 catches, 816 yards, four touchdowns with the Bengals. Then he goes and signs with Detroit, plays 15 games, 55 catches, 930 yards, four touchdowns. 2017, okay, this is his best year, plays all 16 games, 
61 catches, 1,100 yards, had a league leading 18 yards per reception, nine touchdowns. 2018, he plays only nine games, 35 catches, 508 yards, five touchdowns. So played very well when he played. 13 games, 2019, 62 catches, 779, nine touchdowns again. And then last year, all 16 games, 76 catches, 978 yards, another nine touchdowns. I think Marvin Jones would be a great fit. He's 6'2", 200 pounds. Uh, 30, well, he'll be 31 when the season starts. I don't think he's going to cost nearly as much as some people think. Here's why. It's a great class of receivers. Free agent class. Kenny Galladay, who's his teammate, is out there. Might, might be a tag and trade. Allen Robinson. Chris Godwin. Juju Smith-Schuster. Corey Davis. All these guys are out there, among others. T.Y. Hilton. Um, they're all out there. They're all going to get paid, I believe, as much if not more, and in most cases way more, than Marvin Jones is going to get paid. The other reason I think it'll be palatable financially, if the cap doesn't go up, there are going to be guys like Marvin Jones taking one-year deals. It's going to happen. It is going to happen. Teams don't have money. I've talked to multiple people in the league agents, GMs, you name it, who have told me if the cap doesn't go up, stars get paid. Stars are going to get theirs. Guys like Robinson and Godwin are going to get their their fair share. But that second tier, in this part, in my opinion, guys like Marvin Jones, okay, that second tier, they're going to get crushed. They're not going to get paid. And I could see the Chiefs, if the cap doesn't go up, I could see them getting Marvin Jones for one year and seven million bucks. I could also see them getting them for, you know, if they want to sign for three years and 24, something like that. I mean, I, I don't know that they'd go that far, though. Whenever you hear a three-year deal, it really means two in the NFL. Um, I think he'd be a great fit. I think he would be a really, really good fit. Put him outside, opposite Tyreek. Look, Hardman belongs in the slot. That's what he is. He's a good slot receiver. That's where he belongs. You get Jones. And, I, and Jones is a guy you mentioned, big body target for touchdowns. He catches a lot of touchdowns. He's 51 in his career, 18 in the last yeah. two seasons. He is a very and he's played with Stafford and Dalton his whole career with a little like like he's always been that number two guy, right? He had Galladay, he had Megatron, he had AJ Green. Well, in Kansas City, he'd be the three with Kelsey and Hill. That I think that'd be a great fit for both sides. And Galladay was out most of the season with injuries yeah. last year, and he yeah. still performed. Jones still performed, and that's the thing that we saw with Sammy Watkins that did, that did not happen, is when you took Tyreek Hill off the field, it wasn't like, oh, Sammy Watkins is just going to show up. Uh, so I'm, I'm very interested in him as well. I would love to see that happen. Another guy that Lyle mentioned in his article was Josh Reynolds coming out of the Rams. Uh, he was a fourth-round pick in 2017, and... Uh, you know, if you look at his career up until last year, not really impressive. He had 11 receptions in 2017 for 104 yards and a touchdown, 29 receptions in 2018 for 400 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, again, 2019, 21 receptions for uh, 326 yards and one touchdown. And then last year, 52 receptions for 618 yards and two touchdowns. Correct. And the Rams have no shortage of weapons on that team, which is what was really impressive, I thought, about his performance last year. They got Robert Woods. They got Cooper Cup. Then they got the uh, the, the rookie running back that started coming on at the end of the year, Cam Akers. Uh, I mean, he he's an interesting – he's 6'3", by the way. 
6,396 pounds. What do you make of Josh Reynolds right around? Interesting guy. Um, I don't know that I want him as a two. I, I liked him to replace more of Demarcus Robinson yeah. and replace Watkins. And I think there's upside. It's a good call by Lyle, who has written there at Arrowhead Attic for a long, long time, at least dating back to when I was here and I think before me. Yep. Um, it's an interesting call. I like it. I, I I see Reynolds for them as more of a guy who, like, again, more of that Demarcus Robinson type. You know, could come in, you, you can move him around, um, can do some different things for you. I Jones, to me, is, is a great fit for them. I also think Corey Davis is a really good fit, okay? Um, I, I just want to mention him briefly. He's 6'3", 210 pounds. He's the fifth overall pick uh, the year Mahomes got drafted. Here's a fun little nugget. The Chiefs, trying to trade up for Mahomes, actually tried to trade up for that Titans pick, and the Titans wouldn't do it, and they took Corey Davis. Uh, the Chiefs ended up finally convincing Buffalo a few picks later. But Corey Davis is a guy, is a rookie, 375 yardage-wise, 375, no touchdowns. Then 2018, 65 catches, 891 yards, four touchdowns. 2019, down to 601 yards. Last year, 65 catches, 984, five touchdowns in 14 games. I look at Corey Davis and say, that's a guy who plays on a run-first team that for a lot of his career had Marcus Mariota and no ability, no, I mean, a primitive passing attack. Now he's sharing spotlight with A.J. Brown, which is fine because in Kansas City, he'd be sharing it with Kelsey and Hill again, obviously. But I look at him, that's a big-body dude. I think the Chiefs could use him in a lot of the same ways like Anquan Bolden was used for years and years and years as that possession guy. He's going to catch – and that's, that's what Watkins was in his, in his peak. Every once in a while, he catch a deep ball, but Watkins was great on third down, could get himself open. I think Corey Davis is a guy who – if he's not priced out, and he he might be, but there's there's a world where you could get Corey Davis at a decent price, and I like him. I I think he's really interesting, and then I think Juju Smith Schuster's another guy. Like Juju Smith Schuster to me is someone who, by the way, fun stat with him, he has two 97 yard catches in his career. Go figure. Um, he had 97 catches last season. And at only 831 yards. Now, to me, that's a function of Ben Roethlisberger's deep ball being five yards. Because when he played with Antonio Brown, he was a pro bowler. He had 111 right. catches, 1,426 yards, and seven touchdowns. Well, guess what? In Kansas City, he's not going to be the number one receiver. He's a damn good two. I'd be looking at Jones, Smith-Schuster, and Davis as my top three for receivers. And also one other thing, real quick, keep in mind, it's a great class of receivers in the draft this year. A great class. Kansas City could draft a guy in the second round who in a lot of years would be a first-round talent. So just keep that in mind. That's another reason, by the way, it might be tough for some of these free agent receivers to get paid. Because it's just it's going to be a, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Teams are going to go, look, why the hell are we paying you? And we could draft a kid and have him four years cheap control. That's going to be part of this too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, a guy you brought up that I'm not as familiar with, Danico Autry. Talk to me about him. So, I, yeah, right. I brought him up uh, before we, we went on the podcast. I think Danico Autry is potentially the steal of this free agency class. Okay. He played initially, I believe, and I'm double checking this right this second here. I believe he played for the Raiders initially in his career. 
Okay, now he's, he's played the last couple of years over on the Colts. Yes, okay, so he spent four years with the Raiders, and the last three years have been in Indianapolis. Now, with the Raiders, he was really you – know, he was okay. He's a, good, he's a defensive tackle. Okay, he's, he's 6'5", 285. So he's not a 3-4 nose. He's not a, he's not a Don Terry Poe type. He's much more of a, of a smaller – you could even move him on the edge occasionally. You know, you move him around the line. Okay, he can play defensive end in a 4-3. He can play defensive tackle, depending on what kind of set you're in. When he got to Indy, he, he did all that. He moved around quite a bit, and he exploded. He took off. In 2018, played 12 games in nine sacks, primarily on the interior. 2019, played 14 games, had only three and a half sacks, but still was a guy who was constantly getting in the backfield. He had 11 quarterback hits in each of those two years. Last year, he had... 14 games played, seven and a half sacks, nine tackles for loss, 10 quarterback hits. He is a guy, to me, who could be a big-time signing for Kansas City should he come to market. Now, Indy's got some space. Theoretically, they could sign him, could bring him back. He's 30 years old, turns 31 in July. I think he'd be a great fit. And by the way, he went to Mississippi State which is where Chris Jones went. Now, do they know each other? I have no idea, but I'm guessing at school like that, they probably have some idea of each other. I, I think he would be, and he was an undrafted free agent for the record. So this is a guy who knows how to work, knows how to scrap. I think he'd be perfect for the Chiefs. They love guys with versatility. You can move them around. You can move Autry all over the place. Play a little edge, play a little interior. You can pair him up with Jones. You can put him on the outside. You can put Wharton on the inside. You can put Nottie. You could have a defensive line where it's Nottie and Jones on the inside. Autry and Clark on the outside. Then you shift down, Autry and Jones inside, and then you have maybe another edge, like a Dana or somebody like that, and Clark on the outside. I think Danico Autry, to me, I don't think he's going to get paid a fortune. I think he's a great value. I would love to see the Chiefs sign Danico Autry. 6'5", get those mitts in the air as well. Uh, he didn't have any passes defended last year, but he's he had, I think, four the year before that, so... Um, he was too busy getting sacks, I think, last year. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's a great one. And, and now, an old friend you also brought up, Justin Houston, who also may yeah. be leaving Indianapolis. How's he been playing since he left the Chiefs? Pretty damn good. Uh, he's played two years, just nineteen sacks, hasn't missed one game. That was the whole thing, right? In Kansas City, his last four years, he never played sixteen games. Well, he's played sixteen games in both years with Indy, eleven sacks in 2019. Eight sacks last year, 30 quarterback hits overall. Uh, another fun stat, had two safeties last year and one before that. Had one his entire time in Kansas City. He has had three the last two seasons. I, I He's still a beast against the run. 97 and a half career sacks. 78 and a half of those came in Kansas City. I believe Justin Houston would be a great reunion candidate. Now, would he go back there? I don't know. I don't know what the terms were like when he left. Um, I remember I was the one to report that he was going to get released by Chiefs and took a lot of crap. And then he, what do you know? He released by the Chiefs. Um, if he's willing to go back there, I think he'd be a great fit for Kansas City. Um, he he can he can stand up. He can put his hand in the dirt. I mean, Justin Houston can do a lot of things. I think Justin Houston would be a great fit to bring him back. I think at the time when they moved on, it made sense because the money was too much. They had to save it. But I also think that Justin Houston in Kansas City 
look, forget that he even played there for a second. If he didn't, you'd be looking at him going, man, he'd be great. There's a lot of reasons to bring him back. And if they can make it happen, I think they ought to. It's easy for, I know we are all focused on the offensive line because of how the Super Bowl went, but like, let's not sleep on how huge having a better defense and the defense is fine. They're fine. They're good enough for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, right? Um, and they've got a lot of really good, young, exciting players in the secondary, Willie Gay, linebacker. So they're not in, they're not in bed. I think they're in very fine shape on defense. If they can put together, you know, a top 10 defensive season, how much easier does that make things on Patrick Mahomes and the offense? How much more does that really mess up teams when they're playing Kansas City? A ton. A ton. You always, always, always want to have more pass rush, more corners defensively. The Chiefs don't care if they have linebackers because they barely play them. They have Hitchens. It's fine. That's fine. And we'll see how Willie Gay progresses. Okay. Breland's a free agent that matters, but they have Sneed, who they love as an outside guy, um, and as a slocker, but they, they see him as an outside guy. They have they have Ward, they have Fenton on the inside, I, I, and the Chiefs, I, I think, could draft another corner, and they have DeAndre Baker, who hopefully can come back from that leg injury. So I, the Chiefs have guys there. I think they're okay at, at corner. They need help up front in the pass rush game. They do. I, their, their tackles are good between Jones and Wharton and Naughty. And again, Autry would also factor into that, but he could play all over the place. They need edge help. I like Dan. I think Dan is a good rotational piece. Clark is obviously a guy you want out there every snap, but they need more than that. They need more than that. They weren't good enough last year. I, look, if you remember, you go back and listen to these podcasts, what was the one thing we talked about a lot during the course of the season with them? They don't have a good enough pass rush. They don't have a good enough pass rush. And they got better in the playoffs. They got better as the season went on. And then the Super Bowl happened, and they never touched Brady. They just never touched him. You have to be able to get home. In the Super Bowl winning year that they had, in the playoffs, Clark was a machine. They had five sacks in the playoffs. Jones didn't have a sack. He was everywhere. He was all over the place. You need to have, you need to have guys who can get home. And I look at guys like you know, Trey Hendrickson's another one. Okay. Um, you know, and, and I know when we were talking before the show, you mentioned him. Um, Hendrickson is a guy who four years in New Orleans, you really didn't hear much about him. He didn't do much his first three years. His first three seasons, he did not play a lot. You know, very much a rotational piece. Had six and a half sacks over three years. Like, all right, whatever. Last year, guy plays 15 games, 13 and a half sacks, 25 quarterback hits. He's hitting the market. He's 6'4, 270. He's a 4-3 defensive end from heaven. That's a guy you're looking at and going, okay, uh, if he can give me anything like that, he can give me 10 sacks, I'm pretty happy. I'll give you another guy, Romeo Aquera. Probably like, who? Another Detroit guy. 6'4", 263. He's a defensive end. A little bit of a stand-up edge. Can play hand in the dirt as well at that size. Two years ago, only one and a half sacks. The year prior, seven and a half. Last year, 10 sacks. Okay? So... There are guys out there, and I don't worry much about are they 4-3, are they 3-4, whatever. The Chiefs play so many different schemes. I don't think it really matters. Hassan Reddick is another guy. He looked like a bust all day in Arizona. He was taken middle of the first round the year uh, the rear, year Mahomes was drafted. Last year, played 16 games, which, by the way, he always has never missed a game. Played 16 games, 12 and a half sacks. Now, he's a 3-4 he's a outside linebacker. 
But could the Chiefs find spots? Yeah, the Chiefs move a million guys around all the time. Spagnola. My point is, while the draft is not great for edge, man alive, it is a great, great free agency class. And I think if you're the Chiefs, you're making those phone calls. There are a lot of guys out there. You've That is number one defensively for Kansas City. Number one, got to find edge help. That has to be the priority. All right. That is great. Great discussion. Great analysis from Matt Verderham as always. Before we go, I thought it would be fun. I hit you up this morning and I said, like, who are your top three? Like, give me three favorite under the radar Chiefs players of all time. So that means like I considered Dale Carter. Right. And I was like, eh, he's not under the radar enough. Right. It was so good that one of the best rookie seasons ever for a cornerback. Fantastic. He had seven interceptions. As a rookie, it's insane. How many did Marcus Peters have? Oh, God. He had at least, I think he had nine, didn't he? That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, yeah, so so we, we we put together a little list of our some of our favorite under-the-radar under players. I'll, I'll throw one out first. Uh, this is a deep cut. Not a long-time Chief, but one of my favorite Chiefs ever just because of the entertainment value that he gave me. I'm going to go Sean Smith. Remember Sean Smith, hilarious, yes. hilarious guy, grabbing guys' uh, junk in the in the piles. We had a we, <laughs> we had a nickname for him on the uh, on Arrowhead Addict at the time. We called him Perv Smith, and it was just every time we referred to him, we were like, "Yeah, it's Perv." And he was he would always deny, and guys would get so mad. And he drew a couple personal foul penalties because guys clocked him. Um, and he always denied it. It was hilarious. Um, they were, they were. He he got all these great, hilarious nicknames. We called him Perv. One was the Genital Giant, which was pretty high up on my list of hilarious Chiefs nicknames ever. Sean Smith. He was he's a pretty good player. Brought some attitude to the defense and just always got a laugh for his antics on the field. So I'm, I'm throwing Sean big, big, big Perv on there. Uh, who, who's your first guy? There's, there's a lot of guys that could go with. Uh, you know, we talked about this, like you said, before the show. I, I'm going to throw out an old-school guy first, all right? Elmo Wright. The the man loved to dance. If you don't know who <laughs> Elmo Wright is or you don't know who he was, you should look it up. He played from 71 to 75 to Chiefs. He was not very good. He's a first-round pick. He was there a couple years, washed out, and retired. But Elmo Wright had this hilarious dance. <laughs> It is it is worth checking out. Um, just just Google the name, right? You know the W at the end or at the beginning, and he was he just for the dance alone. It, it cannot yeah. be forgotten in Chiefs history. <laughs> Great name too, Elmo. Nobody's naming their yes. kids Elmo anymore. Um, all right, <laughs> my second one is I thought a lot about this one, and again, it's another player that um, I, I just loved the Worm, Johnny Morton. Yeah. Short stint with the Chiefs. But I'll tell you what, you, you go back and you look at Johnny Morton's stats and 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 you're not gonna be you're not gonna feel overly impressed. He was electric, uh, even at that point in his career. The Chiefs would run some reverses and things with him. There's there's believe it or not, there's a Johnny Morton highlight video from from just first time with the Chiefs on YouTube because the internet has everything. And uh they would run some reverses with him sometimes and he would make guys miss and he was fast and he was exciting. And then of course his end zone celebrations. I think he once he threw the ball up like it was a bomb and then he would do the worm all the time. Just it was a really fun guy to have on the team. Super talented. Always have fond memories of the worm. 
Yeah, he was he was a good player. He was a good player. Um, I'll give you another guy from that same time period. In fact, I'll, I'll cheat and just give two because I enjoyed them both thoroughly. And I'm not sure one's really under the radar. But this guy is Jason Dunn, tight end. Oh, Jason Dunn, yeah, the blocking Jason tight Dunn end. Played eight years in Kansas City, 2000, 2007. Okay, in eight years. 41 catches, 353 yards, seven touchdowns. You know why it lasted all that long? Because a man blocked like a damn tackle. That's why. Yep. I In all my life, people talk about, you know, Gronk's the best blocking tight end ever. No, he's not. Jason Dunn was like having another tackle. And I don't mean yep. like, like you hear people cutesily say that. I know literally it was like having another tackle. Nobody blocked like Jason Dunn. By the way, Jason Dunn, 6'6", 276. <laughs> like, it's like yeah. 276. 276. I, I, Making me feel bad about my current weight. Oh, my God. 276. Luckily, a number I never reached. And the reason I'm combining two of these guys, and I'm not, and, and I'm saying this up front, I'm not sure if this guy qualifies as under the radar. It's just part of it. Another guy who blocked like a tackle, Tony Richardson. Yeah. One of my favorite Chiefs of all time. He played he played a, a crisp 11 years in KC from 95 to 2005. Three-time Pro Bowler, all-decade team. I know fullbacks don't get into the hall. Tony Richardson, if they, if they start getting in, he's at the front of the list. He was a him and Lorenzo Neal were the pinnacle of fullbacks at that time. He was a great, great fullback. And that's why I said I don't know if he goes under the radar necessarily because he was so good at his position. But there's another guy. Not a lot of yardage in his career. For his entire career, he played 16 NFL seasons. He had 3,270 yards. But man, he could block. He was a great blocker, and by all accounts, a great guy. So um, or is a great guy. So he, those two guys to me, I can't, I can't separate them because they're like the same guy, different positions. Yeah. Yeah. I'll throw in my last one. Everybody loves the human joystick, Dante Hall. But before there was Dante Hall, there was Tamaric Vanover. Yeah. Loved, loved me some Tamaric Vanover returning punts. Absolutely electric. Very exciting player. Great name. Another great name uh, on this list, Tamaric Vanover. They had some, in the 90s, they had some, uh, Keith Cash. That was a great one. Yeah. Webster Slaughter. Remember Webster Slaughter? <laughs> yep. I think I'm going to get a Webster Slaughter Chiefs jersey, like a custom. Don't do that. Oh, don't. Come on. It's such a good, just it's a slaughter on the back of your, your, yeah, your jersey. That's, and, and it felt like a slaughter <laughs> watching him play. Um, <laughs> Remember Andre Risen when he was on the Chiefs? Another receiver back in the day. He was awful. Uh, La Chapelle. Sean La Chapelle. Oh, man. Remember him? I Played don't one remember. year, one year for the Chiefs, 1996. I don't know why I remember that name. And by the way, he's not one of my favorite. He just, I just remember the name. But um, Sean LaChapelle, that's right. For some reason, this the conversation now has me thinking about Greg Hill. Greg Hill, who was like supposed the, to be good. Yeah, never, never, n- never panned out. Uh, um, oh God, now I'm going down the Ryan Sims. Junior Siavi. Stop, stop. Wormholes, help me. I'll I'll give you two more real quick. 
One guy is probably forgotten by everybody at this point, but I loved him as a kid. He played on 92 and 93 teams. Benny Thompson. Remember him on special teams? I don't remember Benny Thompson. Man, he was a lunatic. He was out of his mind. Go back, if you have time today, or even if you don't, just screw your employer out of some money. Go back and watch the 93 Chiefs-Oilers game. They bring him on a multitude of blitzes against Warren Moon. I I think he has two sacks. And... He is number 46. He is a maniac. Benny Thompson is like the most just jacked up human being you've ever seen in your life. He's the epitome of 90s football. He looks like a guy that was in that movie, like The Replacements. But then he's just, he's just somehow like they just left him on the team. He's great. And then another, and then my last guy, who's kind of like a Tony Richardson. I don't know if he totally qualifies as under the radar. Loved him. Played for the Chiefs from 89 through 96. He was a one-time Pro Bowler. Dan Saliamoa. Oh, yeah. I love Dan Saliamoa. That was for me, like, I'll be the first to admit, I probably overhyped some of these guys and nostalgic about those dudes in the 90s because that was my team. Um, that was a team I grew up loving the Chiefs with. But Dan Saliamoa, not big 97 inside with with, with, gold, uh, with Joe Phillips. That was, that was a great line, man. Those two guys, yeah. DT, Neil Smith. That was... That, to me, when I think of the 90s Chiefs, yes, I think of Montana. Yes, I think of Marcus Allen. When I think of the 90s Chiefs, I think of noise, and I and I think of that line being the chief reason for the noise. I think of, yeah. And I think, frankly, more than anything, I think of Marty Schottenheimer. The fact that they had that brief moment where they had Derek Thomas and Neil Smith at the same time, just I'll never get over him going and playing in Denver. I'll never get over it. He's a traitor. Yeah, it was. Because that was they were together crap. for they were together for a what they were together for yeah. eight years yeah and then absolutely and then incredible they, uh, left and it, uh, I'll never forgive him for it as a yep. kid I was I was absolutely crushed and he, and then yeah. Dale Carter went to Denver although that worked out because he was atrocious in that right right yeah he was uh, all right everybody thank you so much for listening uh, we will be back next Thursday but you'll get another Arrowhead Attic podcast on Sunday night when Sterling Holmes and Matt Connor turn in their next episode and make sure you're listening to Verderam's podcast on the NFL over at fansided.com stacking the box we just expanded we're going to be launching the Matt Lombardo show on stacking the box if you're not familiar with Matt Lombardo another great NFL reporter that works for fansided we're taking uh stacking the box next level Verderam was he was Matt on yesterday did, did you guys record yesterday to introduce him to the team yes yes we did Excellent. Yeah, uh, he he actually broke some news that the the Colts are, uh, I believe it was Matt, uh, interested in re-signing Justin Houston. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, yeah, Matt Lombardo. We'll uh, yep. So the, yeah. but they are they are expected to try to make a run at him that they have interest in him, but that he's expected that a very strong market should he get to free agents. Very very exciting stuff. So we're just. Look, man, we're loading up. We're loading up on the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. We're loading up on Stack in the Box. We're trying to bring you guys all the best content we can. So make sure you're subscribed. You're leaving reviews over at Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate you. It's been over an hour, so we're going to get out of here because we got work to do. But we will see you guys next Thursday. For Matt Verder, my name is Patrick Allen. Thank you for listening. And as always, go Chiefs.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.